0: that uh, is uh, it actually there's some really some really interesting truth within what he's saying, but also uh, I think something for me at least is a little bit humorous. and so uh, the big thing is that we have here what I believe are to be is is, is Peter's wrapping up this letter uh, to the church uh, he's wrapping up this letter to those who are struggling with um, false teachers struggling with persecution, all of those things. his final encouragement is going to be, uh, that we be diligent and uh, that we are um, focused on doing the things that God has commanded and that we're encouraged to do that uh, based upon some of the promises that He's given us uh, throughout this uh, this book. And so uh, let's look at that text together. We're going to begin in verse 14, and we'll go all the way to the end of the book, verse 18. There the Bible says this, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So here, Peter, as he concludes this letter, um, he begins this, this final section by encouraging uh, the church, encouraging those that are reading or hearing to the letter read that they need to be diligent. Be diligent. And he bases the, the foundation for their diligence on the fact that they can look forward to all of these other things that he's talked about. And I think specifically he's referencing the, the first part, the probably the first 13 verses of chapter 3, where he speaks about the day of the Lord and he speaks about the, the promises of God and speaks about the fact that God's promises are not slack. And based upon that, Peter tells them, he says, he says, therefore, looking forward to these things, because you know these promises have been made, because you know these promises are true, based upon that, be diligent to be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless. Peter says be diligent because God has, uh, God has made these promises and, and they're there before you. And because you know this is true, you can do this. You can, first of all, he says, be found by Him in peace what does that mean I don't think he's talking about them being like infighting I think he's speaking about uh living at peace uh, before Christ living in in at peace with God living in the way that God would have them to live without spot and blameless this that's Simple biblical language. It's just talking about the the fact that they are to live as Christ has commanded them to live. To seek to live to the honor and glory of God. Seek to to live in such a way where they will be counted as blameless. Now we we understand that perfection is is not uh, perfection is the standard because Christ is our standard. But we recognize that we won't live up to perfection. But we can have the be have lives that are. Our, over, our, our overall kind of summary of the way in which we live would be that we are found blameless. That is, we aren't those that are thought of as being uh, sinful as the general rule. We aren't living in a way that brings shame upon the name of the Lord. We are at peace in Christ and before Christ. Peter's encouragement to the church the church that's at this time was under way more pressure than we ever have been the church who at this time they were dealing with false teachers just like we deal with false teachers in our day and age right these people their encouragement is that they be diligent to be found blameless to be found spotless and the word diligence is so important here it's because it's something that takes Focus. It takes energy. It takes time and effort. You're not diligent about something flippantly, you know. If if you're going to be diligent about something, you're gonna, you know. I always think about like when you when you buy something and it has to be put together. Oh goodness, Christmas is coming up, and you get something for your kids, and you 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 have to put it together, and it has all these instructions, and you know you. I don't know about you guys, but number one, it's really small and the pieces don't look in the same in real life like they do on the paper and it doesn't go together because it's a 2D, you know, picture and it's 3D in real life and I can't make this go together this way and if you're not diligent, what happens? Yeah, I got parts left over. Things, things don't go. You, you, you hit the button and nothing happens. And then you start thinking, well, is there a problem with this thing or am I the problem? Maybe you get up and you go eat, you know, eat a snack in between, you come back and sit down and go to work on it again and you know, on the way there you're like me and you kick the pile of screws you had and they scatter everywhere. And you don't know what's going on why because I I wasn't diligent. I I, I wasn't focused on this in the way I needed to be for it to come together in the way that it should. And diligence is the call of the christian that we we sometimes think that before christ that we can just kind of mosey through this world no being faithful to christ is it's a high calling it's it's one that it takes a lot it's not that we're trying again as we always say that we're trying to earn our salvation or i was talking to to someone today and and they were saying i just feel like i don't uh you know i I go to pray and I ask God for something and and uh, I just don't feel like I even deserve to be able to ask Him. And I said, that recognition is, is in fact right. You don't deserve it and neither do I. And so to recognize that is right, but you also need to recognize that God has commanded us to ask and God wants us to communicate with Him and to share uh, our burdens with Him. And so... We have, to, we have to be diligent. We have to be diligent in our, our relationship with God and keeping that where it needs to be. We have to be diligent in our obedience to His Word, which means we have to be diligent about the Word itself. Diligence. It's a word we don't use a lot in the modern vernacular, but, it, but it's, it's a great word that I think we need to, we need to bring that word back. Because I, I don't believe that most of us are very diligent at times maybe we're diligent about certain things but a lot of us we're going through life and we got this and we got this and we got this and we got this and we we end up getting a lot of things done but a lot of times we don't we don't devote ourselves to the things that matter the most we're not diligent about the things of the Lord the things of eternity he says that we should be diligent to be be found without spot and blameless And he says, and we should consider in verse 15 that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. This echoes something that uh, he said back um, earlier in in the same chapter that uh, back in really verse 9 of this chapter where he says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's he's reiterating that idea that that we should consider the fact that that because the Lord is long suffering, it's, it's not that somehow God has forgotten about us. It's not somehow that that He's not going to live up to the promise of His return. It's not somehow that that God isn't true to His word because our perception of time is not God's perception of time and we're sitting here tapping our watch. Right I remember a story my dad told me from when he was a kid. My grandfather was a pastor, and I think they were having a Sunday uh, evening service. And But there was something that he thought he needed to be at. And I don't remember what it was. Knowing my dad, it was probably a ball game, and uh, which they didn't play a lot of Sunday stuff back then. But who knows? But I just remember this tale anyhow. He said that I was, he said I was like 13 years old and I thought I knew something about something and I thought my dad was preaching a little too long. And he said I had this old metal watch and I was sitting on the back pew and I went to tapping it on the back pew. Like, hey, old man, hurry it up. we got somewhere to be. And he said he kind of looked my way once and then I did it again and then he cut me a pretty good look and he said I didn't have enough sense. And, and you know, when that was all said and done... Um, my dad's a big guy. My grandfather was a bigger guy, and uh, he, he had something to say about that, right? He, 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 was, he was patient for a moment. He was long-suffering. My dad didn't have a lot of patience, right? We, patience isn't, isn't my strength. It may not be yours, but when we think about God, we think, well, are we like that impatient kid sitting back there? Come on. Are we sitting there going, come on God, will not you do this? Come on God, what's he telling us? He's saying the the patience of God here, the long suffering of God here is a blessing. He says, in fact, it is salvation because God is in his grace, in his will, in his mercy. He has chosen that He, he has not come yet and that there will be more people according to his will and his plan that will come to him by faith through repentance, believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said the the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. And then he begins this reference to Paul. It's interesting here who Peter, who is really remembered and, and really written about, even in the Scriptures, as the one who's considered chief among the apostles. Right, the apostles, there's the apostles, and and they all did things, but it, you you cannot escape the fact through the book of Acts and elsewhere that Peter is viewed as the leader of the group. He's referenced separately, uh, even by Paul when he writes, you know, I went up and 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 I saw Peter, and then I saw these guys. Peter's referenced on his own so many times, and yet here Peter, in support for what he's teaching the church here, references Paul as being one who supports what he had to say he says as, our, as also our beloved brother paul according to the wisdom given to him has written to you by this time we believe that uh, according to the the best dating we have of these letters that paul's paul's like paul's dead at this point when Peter writes this, all of his letters have been written. And most likely, a lot of the people that would hear what Peter has to say here, many of them would have heard some of Paul's epistles. Right? They were passed around in the early church. And so Peter's saying, Paul has written to you about this same thing, about the long suffering of the Lord. He's written to you about your need to be diligent. Paul has written this to you. Verse 16 is, again, what I think is my, one of my favorite pieces of this. "...as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures." Now there's two, there's there's several things here, but two that I really want to focus on. The first thing is that I love the fact that Peter says, Paul wrote about this, he wrote about it, you've read it, he wrote about it in all his epistles, and yeah, sometimes that Paul guy is hard to understand. Right? I mean, that's exactly what he's saying here. He wrote some things, he said, Paul wrote some things that are difficult to understand. If you pay attention to some of Paul's epistles. And you begin, like, because we have it broken up in verses, and so we don't always see this. But there's times where you go through, like, multiple, what, what we would, if we wrote, they would be multiple paragraphs, and for Paul, they're one sentence. Right? A sentence just goes on and on and on and on and on. Paul, could, Paul was the smart guy of the group. He was the educated guy of the group. And he wrote in a way that apparently sometimes, The the truths he was speaking about were mysterious at some level. And Peter acknowledges, yeah, sometimes they're difficult to understand. He doesn't say they're impossible to understand. He just says some of them are hard to understand. And he says that because of that, some untaught and unstable people are going to twist them. We understand that, don't we? You ever notice that people want to go to, to the the one thing that maybe is a little bit difficult to understand and they want to take it and twist it and turn it into something that there's just absolutely no way that it could be. I mean, I have heard people take little pieces of Scripture and take it out of context. And, um, you know, I, I, heard a, I heard a great uh, illustration of, about con- the importance of context and the way we understand the Bible. And so somebody said, you know, if somebody is um, a widow or a widower, It said, uh, if a man's a widower, uh, do we go to the book of Hosea and tell him that he needs to go and take a wife of whoredom?" That's what the Bible tells Hosea to do. Is that applicable to the man who's a widower? Well, no, of course not. But that's what the Bible tells Hosea to do. And if you just took that verse and you applied it, well, well, he's a widow and, and here you go. Well, there's a problem there, right? But that sounds silly, but that's the level to which people twist Scripture. One of the, one of the easy examples is what, what uh, people always say about uh, when you begin to speak on a moral issue from a biblical perspective. And they'll say, well, the Bible says judge not, lest you be judged. I like, the way, I like what Paul Washer said. He said, I, I respond with uh, twist not Scripture, lest you be destroyed. The Bible is so clear on so much that, that, that people, people want, that want to take it and use it for their own ends, they really have to twist it at the edges, don't they? They have to twist it where there's, not a, a, lot of it, where there's a little bit of difference of opinion. I, say, I tell you guys this all the time. There's people I disagree with that I still think are godly Christian people. We disagree on, on issues that are what we might call secondary or, or third-tier issues. Right, maybe we, we disagree on a mode of baptism. We disagree on certain things. But primary issues in the Scriptures, issues of salvation, issues of the gospel, issues about the nature of God, those are the things that make you Christian. Your faith in Christ based upon the salvation as it is revealed in the Scriptures Secondary issues is what define denominations, right? That's why there's different groups because we had a heartfelt disagreement over a particular issue. Sometimes people say, well, why aren't everybody this? Or why aren't everybody that? Why are you all broken up? It's like, well, we interpret the scriptures the best way we know how and this is where we ended up and they ended up in a different place and we couldn't fellowship in that way any longer. That doesn't mean that we aren't all Christians. We have some slight disagreements. I went off on a little tangent there. But the idea is this that Peter's letting it be known that people are going to twist the scriptures if they can. These false teachers, he's talked about the entire book almost. He's saying they're untaught. He said they haven't been discipled. They weren't those that, that were trained up underneath the leadership of godly people in the church. So he's not saying they didn't go to school. He's saying they haven't been properly discipled. And he says, and they're unstable. And they're twisting the Scriptures, which is a bad thing. And he says, bad thing for for those who might be influenced by them, but he says they're doing it to their own destruction. We never forget, may we never forget, that the false prophets, the Scripture twisters... The weirdos out there that are messing with the nature of God by, by turning and twisting what the Bible actually says, and, and we should oppose them at every turn, but we should never fail to remember that they are headed for destruction themselves, and we should pray that they repent and come to Christ truly. But there's another truth buried in this verse that I think is so great. It's, it's, it's one, of the, one of my favorite things about the testimony of the Scriptures to themselves. Notice what Peter says. He speaks about Paul's writings. He says, some people take these things, they twist them, they mess with them to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. He says, people twist, scripture, twist Paul's writings just like they do the rest of the Scriptures. Peter, in his lifetime, is already calling the writings of Paul Scripture. That's monumental, right? He's he's placing this, and the way that he describes the the writings of Paul, he's placing them on the same level as the Old Testament Scriptures here. And I don't really have a lot of time to get into the way in which kind of the, the canon of Scripture as we possess it was developed, but... It really amounted to that it was the things that came from uh, apostles or those directly next to or related to the apostles, and they wrote under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We understand that. And they were the things that, through the power of the Spirit and and the will of God, came to be used within this first generation of the church, recognized by the church itself. And Peter here is already calling Paul's writing scriptures. So, It's interesting that there's a huge population out there, especially as we deal with some of these moral issues of the day, things like homosexuality, things like all kinds of sexual immorality, all that kind of stuff, and and other moral issues. What you always run into is you run into somebody that will say something like that. Well, Jesus didn't say that. That's Paul. That's what they'll say. And I want to tell them, if you really understood the nature of Scripture the way you should, you'll understand that everything that's in the book really comes from Jesus. That's how we should understand it. As the Bible speaks, God speaks. But here we have the Old Testament Scriptures, which Jesus himself recognized, right, and, and as, as being the Word of God, and Jesus himself, who is the Word of God, and the Gospels that testify to him. Now we have here from Peter, the head, the chief of the apostles, the chief among the apostles. He's the one saying the writings of Paul are the Scriptures, This is very important, and it's one of those things that I forget about it sometimes until I read it again, and I'm like, oh man, that is amazing, because it gives us more and more assurance. I think we should have a lot of assurance about our Bible, but here is a place where somebody that wants to act like Paul is somehow secondary to the Gospels, they need to understand something. Paul's writings were present and recognized before the Gospels were compiled, but the book of Galatians probably, some will argue that, but the book of Galatians, probably the, uh, the earliest written book in the New Testament, we're talking about less than 20 years from the cross when the letter to the Galatians is written. Now I know the Gospels describe the events of the life of Christ, but I'm saying as far as being put down on paper and, and, and being written, the book of Galatians predates all of this. And Peter's telling us these these writings are on par with the rest of the Scriptures, and they will be twisted like the rest of the Scriptures. For me, this is just a place where I draw even more assurance about the Bible as we have it. After telling us all this, after encouraging the church to be diligent, after encouraging them to, to recognize the grace of the long-suffering of God and, and, and how Paul wrote about the same things and telling us how the writings of Paul are, are Scripture... Then Peter, as he prepares to sign off, says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Peter says, Since you know, this beforehand since you know what i've taught you about false teachers since you know about the promises that have come since you know about the way in which they're seeking to twist the scriptures the writings of paul and other things since you know that you need to beware peter signs off with a warning that we've got to he's told us to be diligent but he's telling us to beware he said i've already told you he said beware don't be led astray by this twisting. Don't be led astray by, by all of this falsehood. Don't allow those who would seek to hijack the gospel for their own ends. And for me, I think this is one of the things where, where I, can, I can encounter discouragement. I don't know about you. Where I see people out there hijacking the gospel for their own ends. And I'm like, man, and then you run into somebody and what do they, they'll tell you? It's happened to me so many times, it's way beyond count. I'm sure you've run into it. But as a pastor, I'm, maybe I hear this particular refrain a little more than you. All preachers care about is the money. Interesting. They need to talk to some of the preachers I know. They need to talk, about, they need to, talk to, to the pastors that I know laboring in, in so many places for very little It's very discouraging for for those kind of men. I I don't even include myself in that. I'm very grateful for the way the church cares for me and my family. For those kind of men to have somebody look them in the face and say, all y'all care about is money. Some of these guys working full-time jobs, preaching, trying to do all of those types of things. When the gospel is hijacked, there is no live and let live. Hear me when I say that. I don't think we. I think we need to have grace enough to tell someone when they're in error and tell them the truth. But when the gospel is being perverted, when the gospel's being twisted, there is no live and let live. Ah, they're just going to be who they are. I just got done telling you a few minutes ago. Secondary issues, third tier issues. Hey, we can have you know really spirited discussions about that stuff. But when people are messing with the foundational truths of the gospel, We cannot just let that slide without opposition. We must do our very best to hold accountable because that kind of perversion of the truth hurts the entirety of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must stand for the truth. That's part of our responsibility. We don't need to be led away with the error of the wicked. We don't, need to, we don't need to allow uh, people around us to, to, to point someone in the direction of falsehood. If I'm sitting somewhere and a Muslim missionary comes up, I've only encountered them in a couple of places, mostly airports, and they sit down and start talking to somebody. They talk to them, they hand them some material, they get up and walk away. Do I just sit there and live and let live? Or do I say, hey, I need to tell you something. I firmly believe what you've just been told is a lie, and I want to tell you to the best of my ability what I believe is the truth. You say, well, of course I would do that. Yeah, well, what about those people that want to pretend they're Christian? What about the Mormons? What about the JWs? You're like, ah, well, okay, yeah, yeah, I definitely want to oppose them. What about those that are a little more considered at least Christian again I'm not talking about those that I just have differences of opinion with I'm talking about people that are messing with the gospel it's happening what do we do we stand for the truth we don't allow it to be twisted at least insofar as we have anything to say about it so what's the remedy he tells us to, to, to beware. He tells us to not fall from our own steadfastness. Don't step off the path. Keep going the direction that you're going. Don't be led away with this error. So how do we go about that? If I don't want to be led astray, if I don't want to drift, what's the answer? Here it is in verse 18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How do I avoid being led astray? I grow in my faith. How do I become uh, uh, someone who can h- help others who might be led astray? I grow. I grow in my faith. I grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't just. I, I grow in knowledge. That's. I, I go in and I learn about what God says. I. I do that, but I also got to grow in grace. You ever run into somebody that's all knowledge and no grace? They're not a lot of fun, are they? Pharisees. That's right. Now, you ever run into somebody that's all grace and no knowledge? I have that too. Well, all you got to do is love Jesus. Yeah, but what Jesus are you talking about loving? The Jesus that says there's no standard? Because that's where that tends to go when it's all grace and no knowledge. No, We speak the truth in love. We have knowledge that is filled with grace. We have grace that is accompanied with knowledge. So if we want to steel ourselves against uh, being led astray, if we want to be an asset to others and, and help them not be led astray, the way that we do it is by pursuing the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It all comes by His grace, but we need to seek to... Uh, constantly be growing in that relationship, growing in that knowledge, pursuing Him through His Word, through prayer, through the fellowship of the saints. Why? Because it's for His glory. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Peter encourages the church as he signs off. As far as we know, this is the, the last thing we have from Peter in his life, this second letter to 2 Peter. It's the, la- the last things we know about him, the last words he's giving to the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. And his encouragement is to be diligent, to be blameless, to defend the Scriptures, to not allow them to be twisted, and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be defended from error. I think these are great words to encourage us as, the, as a body of believers, to encourage us as individuals. Sometimes when I don't feel like diving into the Word, sometimes when I don't feel like uh, my, my, my body, my mind says, oh no, I don't need to, I'm not going to spend any time praying today, and that happens. I need to remember that it's the glory of the Lord that's at stake. It doesn't rise and fall on me. do. I need to do all that I can do to honor and glorify God with my life today, that I might be used of Him for His honor and glory, because He is worth all of the honor and glory. And so that we can pray with Peter, we can commend to others with Peter, to Him, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, be glory both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the day. Thank You for Your Word. Pray You'd be with us. Pray You'd strengthen us. Pray You'd help us to be diligent in our lives as individuals. You'd help us to, Lord, be constantly thankful for Your grace and Your long suffering toward us and toward this world that's drifting towards destruction. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we might be used of You, whatever part You would have us to play, to, to, be, to see people come to know You in the midst of Your patience and Your mercy and Your grace. Lord, that You might use us as part of that. Lord, we pray that we would grow as individuals, as a body. We would grow in your grace. We'd grow in your knowledge. Lord, that you, above all things, might be honored and glorified. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Thank y'all.